0: In tumultuous times like these, where do individuals and where does our nation put our trust? That's the question that is asked in Psalm 33, our primary text for this morning. And the key word in Psalm 33 is a Hebrew word, hesed, H-E-S-E-D, which really is translated in Hebrew, the steadfast love of God. And what the Hebrew text is saying is that the steadfast love of God is higher and wider and deeper than we could ever imagine. As you may know, we're in a sermon series here at San Marino Community Church on seven Hebrew words that every Christian ought to know. But this word today, hesed, is very special. Listen for the word of God. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. God loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all their host by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea as in a bottle. He put the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Truly, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. And then a small text from 2 Corinthians five sixteen and 19, where the Apostle Paul really gives us practical guidance as to how to take the hesed, the steadfast love of God, and apply it to our lives so that we're a conduit of God's hesed to other people. From now on then, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way so if anyone is in christ there is a new creation everything old has passed away see everything has become new all this is from god who reconciled us to himself through christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is in christ god was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, please pour through me today the gift of preaching so that we might not only understand Hesed, your steadfast love, intellectually, academically, but we might experience your Hesed personally, so that we might be conduits of your hesed, your steadfast love, to everyone we meet. All this we pray with anticipation in the strong name of Jesus Christ, amen. When we put our trust in the steadfast love of God, nothing will be impossible I learned this when I got a phone call from an Atlanta real estate developer named Tom Cousins some years ago. Tom is a Presbyterian elder and a wonderful Christian man. I had known Tom for many years as an elder at North Avenue Presbyterian Church when I went there often as a guest preacher or a friend of one of the pastors. I got to know Tom and his wife, Anne. And I knew that Tom as an elder and a great Christian had a real heart for renewing churches, So one day out of the blue, he called me and he said, Preacher, could you come and help me renew a church down in Albany, Georgia? Now, I was from the East Coast and I knew that A-L-B-A-N-Y, Albany, was Albany, New York, but I'd never heard of Albany, Georgia. And he corrected me, said it's not Albany, Georgia, it's Albany. So this was the deep south in South Georgia. And Tom wanted me to come down and help him decide if he could help renew that church because the executive presbyter had said it was impossible to renew and everybody around said it's impossible. And Tom didn't like the word impossible. So Suzanne and I flew down to Albany, Georgia, and we went to this little church with Tom and his wife, Anne, on a Sunday morning. We sat there in the congregation that seated 400 people. It was a magnificent, beautiful sanctuary, but it only had 26 people in it that Sunday, including the guest minister, four in the choir, two ushers, and Tom and Anne and Suzanne and I and a few other worshipers in the spacious sanctuary. And right before the 11 o'clock service, Tom leaned over to me and he said, now, can this church be resurrected? I said, absolutely. He said, how can you be so sure? I said, well, it's got the one thing you need to be resurrected. He said, what's that? I said, it's dead. You've got to be dead to be resurrected, man. He said, now, Tom, I'm serious about this. This is no laughing matter. I said, I'm serious too. If this church will admit that it's dead, it needs to come to life and it will tap into the steadfast love of God, the power of God, this church can be resurrected. I believe it with all my heart. And then with a twinkle in his eye, he said, will you come down and help me do it? Now this has nothing to do with me, but that was the first time I became a consultant for a congregation, but it has nothing to do with me what happened in that church, but this church really was resurrected. By the power of God, they got a wonderful, young, new, dynamic pastor, and they started to come to life. I wish you could go and visit First Presbyterian Church of Albany, Georgia, today, because there's not 26 people in the sanctuary anymore. On a Sunday morning, they average well over 200, sometimes 300 on a Sunday morning, and the church has come to life. The joy in that sanctuary is palatable. And more than that, They have started a reconciliation ministry with the black churches in that town. Do you know Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. whose birth we celebrated last week, He would go to Albany, Georgia in the late 50s and the early to mid 60s, and he would have sit-ins because they weren't able to be served at the lunch counter. They weren't able to stay at a hotel as African-American people. And so Dr. King was protesting. He went to jail many times down in Albany, Georgia. But today, this white Presbyterian church and the black Baptist church have gotten together, not only for revivals and musical concerts and worship services, But three of the families in the White Presbyterian Church joined the Black Baptist Church. And three of the families of the Black Baptist Church joined the White Presbyterian Church. And they're working for true integration today. By any measure, the First Presbyterian Church of Albany, Georgia, is resurrected. Now tell me, is there a relationship in your life that needs resurrection? I ask this question because, as many of you know, we're living in the divided states of America. Our nation's divided, our Congress is bitterly divided, right, 50-50. But we're in a time of great stress in our nation when we're a divided nation. Two-thirds of all the families in our United States of America are not able to speak to one another because they've got two or more members of their family who aren't talking about politics in America. I know a young couple and they wanted to celebrate Christmas with their children and their home, but they hadn't seen their parents, the children's grandparents, for many months since the pandemic started. And so they decided to plan a trip just for a couple of hours to drive over, it was about an hour or two away, and see the grandparents, they hadn't seen them in months, have a wonderful time together, and everybody was looking forward to it. They were gonna be socially distanced and have masks and all of that, but they just yearned to see the grandparents. But two nights before they were to go, The daughter was talking to her father, the grandfather, on the phone. And they had a fight over politics. And then the young couple decided they weren't going to go and take their children to meet the grandparents again. And everybody lost. This is what's happening in our nation today. See why I say it's the divided states of America? And if you've been reading the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times and reading editorials by Peggy Noonan or David Brooks about the politics of meanness then you know how mean our society has become. We call each other names and, and these are bitter names. We are calling each other by terrible, terrible names often in our nation. This is why President Biden, in his inaugural address on, on Wednesday, called it an uncivil war in our nation and he was yearning America, he was begging America to heal our nation. And then did you see that time after they laid the wreath at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier that former President Clinton and former President Bush and former President Obama all got together, just the three of them, and they just talked together and they were begging the American people imploring them to be healed. And, President Clinton, former President Clinton said, you know, we got to get off our high horse and we got to get to know each other again. And we got to admit sometimes that we're wrong and and ask somebody for forgiveness. And former President Bush said, you know, it's all about loving our neighbor as we want to be loved, loving each other as we want to be loved. He said, if we would do that, we could heal our nation. And then former President Obama said, you know, it's not about everybody agreeing with each other because we're always going to disagree. That's America. But we've got more in common as Americans than we've got that divides us. And I was inspired by all this rhetoric, President Biden and the three former presidents. I was inspired by all of it. The problem is, how do we do it? How do we move on and reconcile? How do we heal our land? How exactly do we do it? Well, today I believe the answer is found in Psalm 33 that we just read. It is found in the Hesed, the steadfast love of God. The steadfast love of God is deeper and wider and taller than we could ever imagine. And Psalm 33 says, "The steadfast love of God created the world. The world is created in love. And God loves us. And God wants the best for us. God is the creator of healing. God can bring people together. The steadfast love of God is beyond what we could ever imagine God is omnipotent. God is sovereign. God's got more power than we could ever even imagine in God's little finger. There's more than we could ever imagine. God can bring us together as a nation, as people. We can heal our land. And the Psalm 33 even says that out of death, God can bring life. It's in Psalm 33. And this is part of the steadfast love of God that is unfathomable, wider and deeper and broader than we could ever imagine. And the Psalm says, God's the Lord of history. A wise, happy nation is the nation that seeks the counsel of God. I believe we've forgotten God. We we haven't brought God into the equation. We've left God up. Psalm 33 is begging us, as President Biden and and the other former presidents were begging us to put our trust in God and to lay aside our differences and to to heal our land. But the key is in the steadfast love of God. Now, how do we access the steadfast love of God? How do we get into it? I read a lot of C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis is always talking about how theology is impenetrable so often. It's like an impenetrable wall. God is up there somewhere, Lewis says, but, but how do we actually access God? And C.S. Lewis advocates that all preachers, all teachers, their one primary duty is to put God into the vernacular to help us access God and internalize God so that we can really make God accessible to people. And that's what I'm trying to do this morning to help us understand all of us, myself and all of us, how do we tap into the steadfast love of God which never fails that Jan talked about in her call to worship today. So I made this little diagram, it's a a crude cube, but by this, I'm trying to show about the steadfast love of God And there are four words. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. Four words in the Bible for love. Philia, eros, storge, and agape. But underneath agape is really hesed, the steadfast love of God that never fails. Philia love is the love that perceives value in someone as a person. It's the love that says, I like you. I like to be with you. I just enjoy your company. It's the love that perceives value in somebody as a person. We often say friendship. Eros is the love that perceives value in someone as male and female. It's a love that really it's sexual love. We see it in the word erotic, but actually it's even more than sexual love. It's intimacy, vulnerability, it's when you share with someone and you connect, whether there's a sexual connection or not, is whether or not there's an intimate connection, when you kind of share your soul with someone and you connect regardless of age or gender, it's the it's love where you have an intimacy of sharing together. Storge love is the third love. Storge love is sacrificial love. It's the love of a parent for a child or a grandchild. A love when you would give up what you want for what someone else wants or needs. It's the love of a child for a parent when the child grows and becomes an adult and they help their aging parent, maybe their their elderly parent, really do something but they're sacrificing for that aging or elderly parent. It's also the love of a coach for a player, or the love of a teacher for the student, or the love of an employer for an employee. It's the love when you sacrifice, you give up something that you want or need for something that someone else wants or needs. But all those loves, as wonderful as they are, friendship, romance, or intimacy, and sacrifice, as important as all those three loves are, C.S. Lewis says, they're all human loves. They're all dependent on seeing value in the person. What happens when you stop valuing the person? What happens when that daughter has the fight with a father and she doesn't go there and doesn't want to take her children to go there because she's mad at her dad and they fought over politics when she no longer has receives value in her father even for a moment? What do you do? Well that's where these loves come in. C.S. Lewis talks about the the, the love of agape. We've heard of agape love, God's unconditional love. The love that continues even when you no longer perceive value in someone. That's the definition of agape. You love someone when you don't value them anymore. That's the love of God. It's humanly impossible. It's only possible in the love of God. But this is the key. Underneath agape love is that Hebrew word that's one of our seven words, hesed, H-E-S-E-D, the steadfast love of God that never changes. The love that's deeper and wider and broader than we could ever imagine. And so when you dip yourself into Hesed, all of a sudden, all these other loves can be enhanced. That's why I drew the cube. They all get into their proper place when they are rooted and grounded in the Hesed, the steadfast love of God. When you root yourself in Hesed, friendships become deeper. Romances can become deeper, or intimacy with someone can become deeper, and sacrifice can become deeper, all rooted in the chesed of God. So, when I have trouble loving somebody, and this is personal, when I have somebody who I say, gosh, I've lost my respect for them, or or they hurt my feelings, what do I do? I sometimes, frankly, go to God and say, God, I can't love that person. (laughs) If if I'm going to love them, you're going to have to love them through me. I can't do it. Would you please help me to see them through your eyes? And you know what I see? Whenever I do that, whether it's a 35-year-old person or a 45 or 55 or 65 or 75 or 85, you know what I see? I see a little boy or a little girl. They may have a law degree. They may be a big-time lawyer. They may be a CEO of a company. They may be a teacher. They may be an athlete. They may be an entrepreneur. They may be a big personality. But when I see them through the eyes of God and I say, God, what's wrong with our relationship? Often God lets me see them as a little boy and a little girl who, like me, just wants to be loved, is lonely, just wants to be needed, just wants to be able to to make a contribution. And all of a sudden, my hard heart starts to soften when I root myself in the hesed of God. And when I realize that I'm a child of God, and that person is a child of God, somehow the relationship gets healed, not because of me working on it or the other person, but because we're rooted in the love of God. Now, let me give you a practical example of this. Some years ago, I was, had two people come and join the church I pastored, and they had, were a divorced couple. In fact, I didn't know they had been married. I just saw them as two divorced people, Bill and Karen, but they came to me one day after they joined the church, maybe about a year, and they came and they said, we really need your help. And I said, what is that? What do you need help for? They said, well, we're divorced. We used to be married. I said, yes, I've heard that. And they said, you know, we've got our daughter and we've got joint custody of our daughter and we need to be able to love our daughter. We need to be able to care for her. We both got jobs and we need sometimes to sacrifice for each other and And we really need to be able to to love each other in a way even though we've stopped loving each other romantically we need to be able to love each other enough to sacrifice for each other so we can be good parents for our daughter and we both love our daughter beautifully we want our daughter to have a good husband and we have a good uh, father and a good mother but we're no longer husband or wife but we still want to be able to love our daughter couldn't you help us i said well i'm not a therapist (laughs) i'm really not a marriage counselor but what I can do is probably help you to listen to each other and hear each other, and maybe what I could help you do is to pray for your daughter. And they said, well, that's what we need. So I entered into a time where we listened to each other, and that first meeting, we listened to each other. I had to help them to hear each other. And then at the end, I said, and I want you to do two things for next time. I want you to pray for your daughter every day before you come back next week. And then I also, and they agreed to do that. They loved doing that, but then I said, would you also pray for each other every day, morning and night? And they said, no, Tom, wait a minute. We, we've been divorced, and, and there's been a lot of hostility, a lot of anger. We've said a lot of bad things. There's a lot of water over the dam. I'm not sure I want to pray for her, my the husband said. And the wife said, I'm not sure I want to pray for him. I said, well, you're not really praying for them. You're really praying for your daughter. But here's what you're praying is that this person could be a good father to your daughter and a good mother to your daughter. Don't you love your daughter enough to pray that their father and their mother would be loving and they'd be safe with them and they would not hurt them or would not abuse them in any way? Don't you love your daughter enough to pray for the person who's going to be the other primary caregiver? Don't you love her that much? Well, they reluctantly agreed and they weren't happy about it, but they prayed for each other for that week and then another week and then another week, and then another week, and we stopped meeting, and they were getting along okay, and they were civil to each other. They weren't killing each other. And then after about a year, I hadn't seen Bill and Karen in a while. They'd been in church every now and then, but, but Bill came back to me and he said, you know, Tom, this is really working. We're actually civil to each other. And then I noticed one Sunday at coffee hour, Bill got Karen, his former wife, a cup of coffee the way she liked it. And I noticed that Karen actually was laughing when Bill and the daughter were around at the coffee yard. The three of them met. It was an interesting thing. They were divorced, but they they met to care for their daughter. And they often traded the daughter at church. The mother would bring her to church, and the father would bring her to church, and then the other one would take her for the rest of the weekend. That was the place they often met. But it was so interesting that I noticed that they started to kind of be more civil with one another. And then came the day when the two of them came in to see me together, and they said, we finally understood what was wrong with our marriage. And I said, what was wrong? They said, well, we left something out. And I said, what did you leave out? They said, God, you drew it in your diagram. We left that Hesed, that steadfast love of God out of our marriage and what we realize is the more we're praying for each other the more actually it's enhancing our intimacy meaning we haven't been sexual together but we're intimate in the sense that we're sharing deep things about our daughter. And then that's actually helping us with our friendship with each other. And we're able to sacrifice more with each other. And we're rooted in the steadfast love of God. And all these loves are starting to intersect. And we realize that's the way life was meant to be lived. The missing ingredient in our marriage is God. And they asked me if I would perform a new wedding for them. I'd never experienced anything like this. I never had before. I never have since. But I actually did another wedding for them where they were legally married. I didn't even know if I could do that. I checked with lawyers and checked with the council to make sure it was legal to do that. I remarried them. And they're very happy today, some years later. Now, here's the point. They left God out of their marriage. Is there anybody here leaving God out of a relationship where you're having trouble? You're living in the divided states of America. I wonder, you know, this prayer is powerful stuff. I wonder what would happen if Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell started to pray for each other. Now, I know, I know, it's a little far-fetched. He's a Democrat, he's a Republican. I know they got this impeachment trial coming up, and I know there's a lot of things that divide them on policy, but, but President Biden did ask them to go to church together, and they went on the morning of the inauguration, and they prayed for our nation, and they prayed for our new president. What if Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy and Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell started to pray for each other. What if our senators tried to pray for each other and the members of the House of Representatives prayed for each other? I wonder if our nation has left God out of the equation. We've got in God we trust on our coins, but do we believe it? I mean, we say we're a nation under God, but I don't think we believe it. I think we've left God out of our equation. And this is why I think we were all so inspired the other day when that Amanda Gorman, that 22-year-old poet laureate got up before everybody and read that poem. It was amazing, and I believe the Spirit of God came into that inauguration the other day when she read that beautiful poem. And remember, she talked about getting rid of the things that divide us and looking forward to what's ahead of us, not the divisions. And then she said, there is always light. If only we are brave enough to see it, If only we are brave enough to be it. That's it. Are we brave enough to be the light? Are we brave enough to be the United States of America amid the divided states of America? Are we willing to be reconciled with our neighbors? Are we willing to put our trust down on the steadfast love of God that never fails as broader and deeper and wider than we could ever imagine? If we are, then we might heal our nation. But if we're willing to be the light, if we're willing to put our trust down on the steadfast love of God, San Marino Community Church, look out. Because if we do that, you better fasten your seatbelts. Because we may be in for the ride of our lives. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, may it be so.